Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And we got a Guerrero. That's all you need to know. He's an ECW champion. He's a multi-time tag team champion, cruiserweight champion. He's all Mr. Hollywood now. Most importantly, he's a Guerrero. And if he's a Guerrero, he's a good man, and he is. Mr. Chavo Guerrero. Welcome to hey, the show, Chavo. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for having me, guys. And I can see that you still got that golden tongue, brother. It's gold. It's gold. You're the shits in the ring, but on that mic, you're amazing. <laughs> hey, and I'm still putting over a Guerrero. I tell you what, hey, truth being said, and this is not because I'm on your pockets, I want to tell you this for a long time. That night when Eddie passed and you asked to work with me in the ring and we got in the ring and, and tore it down, you know, hey, I'd already been a multiple-time tag team champion. I had already been cruiserweight champion, I don't know how many different times, whatever thought I knew what was going on. I got in the ring with you, man. When I got out of that ring, I, I, my eyes were amazed. I said, I have to step my game up. That's God's honest truth. I was like, that's what it is. That's what to be a champion, a heavyweight champion in this business, the WWE champion, that's what you got to do. That's the truth. Oh, thank you. That was a, you know, it was a, such a terrible tragedy. It was such a great honor though, to be able to work with you. I agree. I, brother, I, I, you, thank you, Ben. You were already on top of the world and you put me over one, two, three in the middle of the ring, bro. That was, that was, thank you. Always, hey, I put, I put Ever Guerrero. I put Arrow, Ever Guerrero on. I've ever wrestled. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> John, I've known a few more than you, but Chavo. First of all, man, welcome, welcome to our show. You know, through several, several attempts, we finally got together. You know, yes, sir. We we booked you, and we've had to cancel you. Then we rebooked you again, and uh, and now now we got you on here, but. Man, what a pleasure. I go way so far back with the Guerrero family. You know, I know back, you back to the to the old El Paso days running running the show there, that old El Paso Coliseum there, that old, that old bar there we used to go in. But what what a thrill it is to have you on and just to listen to some of your stories and get up to date on Chavo Grill. But you're sitting there in front of a historic photo there. Tell us a little bit about the, about the Chavo versus Piper in the world-famous Olympic Auditorium in L.A. owned by the LaBelle family. So that's right. That's that. right. That's right. Eileen Eaton, uh, the, the mother of the of LaBelle's. Um, so the, the Olympic, for anybody who didn't know the Olympic, that was the Madison Square Garden of the West. I mean, every Muhammad Ali fought there. They had, they used to call it a war a week. Uh, Don Shargan used to put a, a war a week of boxing every single week and would book these amazing fights every week there. Plus it had the roller derby, plus it had the, the, the wrestling with Freddie Blassie and John Tolos and anybody who's anybody had gone through the Olympic Auditorium. Before they used to go to, to uh, Japan, they'd stop off in LA, wrestle in LA, and go to to Japan. So um, you know, you guys have been there. You wrestled there. Um, my father was wrestling there. He was their their babyface at the time. And a young heel named Roddy Piper was there. Roddy was about nineteen years old. My dad was about twenty four years old. That the uh, business, the wrestling business, there had been declined a little bit after Freddie Blassie had left and a couple other ones had left. And they had these two to bring it back up, and sure they sure did. And you had Roddy Piper, a magic on the mic, and he would literally he was he was tormenting the Guerrero family. They had a huge rivalry. He, him and my dad were actually I mean rivals in the ring, but outside of the ring they were really good friends. But 
Roddy was so good and such the kayfabe was so strong back then that he and I'm just telling you guys the same way I would tell a fan anybody listening, but it was so strong that he would just do stuff on the on the mic and wouldn't tell anybody. So he's he he apologizes to the to the Mexican American fans there because they had lost their channel 13 TV and now they were on like channel 52, which was a Hispanic station. And uh, he has, he has apologized to the fans in Los Angeles and said, you know, I'm so sorry. The way I've treated the Guerrero family and what I've done is just not right. And I, I, I'm here to apologize and I'm going to apologize to the top. I'm going to apologize to the matriarch of the Guerrero family, Mrs. Guerrero. Mrs. Guerrero, come on out here. So they bring out a donkey, a legit <laughs> real donkey. My dad doesn't know anything about this. He's in the back of He's, he's doing what? There was no monitors back then, you know, like in the, in the dressing room. He was in the dressing room getting ready for their match. And they're like, right, he's doing what? what? What's going on? And he's talking to the donkey and he said, Mrs. Guerrero, I'm very sorry the way I've been treating your family, the way I've treated your son. Um, oh, what's that? And the donkey's going, hee haw, hee haw. And he's like, oh, oh, I'm your favorite wrestler. Oh, you wish I was your son. I'm sorry. Unfortunately, I'm not your son. I'm, I can't be. And he, it was, he went on and on. The people booed him so much. Well, he walked into the back in the dressing room and my dad was going to fight him. Legit straight shoot fight him. He was like, what are you doing? And Roddy said, like, amigo, relax. You know, cause they're Roddy and my dad were both hotheads. And he, and he no. was like, uh, <laughs> you knew them both. Breaking <laughs> news. You knew them both. both. Both very volatile. Well, my dad was like, what are you doing? And, and Roddy was like, amigo, amigo, listen to the people. It's money. They're hot. Listen. So the next week, he doesn't tell my dad again. And he goes, I'm very, he, now he gives the mic. And he goes to, to the, the, the people. And they're booing the heck out of him. He goes, I'm very sorry. What I did last week was so childish. It was so wrong what I'm going to do now is I'm as to make it up to y'all, I'm going to play the Mexican national anthem on the bagpipes. So Jimmy Lennon senior is there. Jimmy Lennon senior senior goes, ladies and gentlemen, please rise for the playing of the Mexican national anthem. Everybody stopped. It was a serious moment. Everybody rose and Roddy's testing out Testing blows up that bag of the bagpipes and he starts playing La Cucaracha. La Cucaracha, La Cucaracha. They wanted, first of all, the fans wanted to kill him. Then he gets into the back and then my dad wants to kill him. And he's like, first, first you're disrespecting my family. Now you're disrespecting my country. And Roddy goes, Migo, relax, listen to the people, listen. And sure enough, the next day, next week when they came out for TV, standing room only literally every sold out packed to the rafters and the rest is history wow wow and roddy was only 19 at the time he was 19 when he started there. he may have been 20 at this time but he was a Holy young cow. young kid. And yeah. to be that young and be that creative and have that much heat i mean that's that's unbelievable it was really unbelievable. And my, my dad should say that if he wasn't a pro wrestler he could have been a comedian he could have been anything he wanted to because his his, 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 you know, he has no Roddy. He's, he had the gift of gab. He was like you. He had the gift of gab, brother. We had Ron Funches, you know, a world-famous comedian on, and uh, we were talking about, you know, his favorite comedians and his favorite wrestlers. He was a huge wrestling fan. You, you know Ron. I mean, he was a huge wrestling fan. But 
course, he, he brought up he brought up uh, Hot Rod, you know, uh, uh, when he was watching Hot Rod after Hot Rod's wrestling career was over. He wanted to learn stand-up comedy, so he went to the comedy comedy club there in L.A. and yeah. and uh, and uh, you know all the comedians just kind of gravitated uh, to him because they were such huge wrestling fans, Piper fans. And, but he said Piper was such a natural that he could have been a mega superstar as, as a stand-up. Also. Just just gold. He just had his delivery, his the way he would pause before he would say a certain part of the story and then his inflections. I mean, you saw it in his, in his promos, but it was just, he was just, he's gold, man. It was well, so it's that, it's that timing. And when you got timing, I mean, you got verbal timing and Roddy had that physical timing too. And boy, you put the two of them together. You got a major superstar. And you guys know that the be your best friend in wrestling is timing. And it's something you cannot teach. You either have it or you don't have it. Yeah, you can refine it a little bit, but you're right. You 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 either have it or you don't. You you can't yeah. teach feel. You're right. You're right. You're right. You can say you can you can time you can hone it in and you can get better at it, but you cannot teach it. You can't teach somebody. Okay, you need to pause here. You need to listen to the fans. It's 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 that sixth sense that just comes with being in the ring and and that it comes naturally. Some people have it better than other times. Other people, you know. And that, that's true. And, you know, as, as a teacher and all three of us are teachers, well, all three like to pass down our knowledge, especially you out in California now with, with your with your new career that you got going and you're able to pass it down and you're able, a lot of these actors, they have that natural timing, but when it comes to the ring sense, do you notice a little difference between the ring sense timing and, and this uh, delivery, you know, your, your verbiage timing too? Abs absolutely, absolutely. Once you're playing in front of a stage with, you know, 10, 20,000 people, your time is definitely going to be different because you're not just playing for 20,000 people, you're playing to six cameras and millions of people watching on TV. Your timing is going to be different because your inflections are going to be much bigger. You're playing to so many people, you're so much bigger. But then when you're doing stuff on camera, you have to really, really bring it down so your timing changes. Well, Trouble, let's talk a little bit. You know, you know, we we we, we jumped ahead way ahead to what you're doing now, but you know, in the beginning, I like, what, what was your age at, at the time? Were you born at the time when Chavo uh, Classic and Piper were, were, were headlining and epic? Or what, what would, I know your family, I mean, I've known them forever, like I said before. A lot of them come from a great amateur background also. Right? Were you right. a part of that? I know your dad was a coach and a, and a, and a right. very successful coach also. Yeah, you know, we, we, we grew up with a wrestling ring in our backyard, but we were not even allowed to hit the ropes until we were amateur wrestlers that would want to be climbing the ropes. And we, me and Eddie would always do it, you know, when they weren't looking, but they, we you know, I wanted them to teach me pro wrestling. They would not teach me pro wrestling. They were stay, keep it on the mat, amateur, amateur, amateur. My grandfather was teaching us jujitsu before we even know what jujitsu was judo he was a huge judo fan striking different stuff like that so we were we were almost mma before mma uh but we learned just students of the game you know and then incorporating that into the pro wrestling thing uh back to your first question uh in the olympic yes i was alive i was probably uh five the reason why we moved from el paso texas to los angeles was because my father went to go wrestle for mike labelle at the olympic auditorium and, uh, and Mike liked him. He needed a young, fiery, Latino, uh, bilingual baby face. And uh, my dad fit the bill. He brought him in. He 
went there and, and was there for about uh, two months and decided he moved us from El Paso, Texas for six months only. And we never left. That's what happened. We never left because he moved us for six months to try it. After six months, we ended up buying a house in Huntington Beach, California, Fountain Valley to be pre precise. And uh, we we just never left. Even though we all say we're still from El Paso because that's where the Guerreros are from. It's via, it's via Los Angeles. That, that, you know, you, you, you set up Jay LaBelle. He, he was a brilliant, brilliant uh, promoter and businessman. But Mike, you, yes. know, you know, previous to Chavo, a lot of the, a lot of the Hispanic, especially a lot of the Mexican stars, could only speak uh, Spanish. Could only right. speak their language. And when, when, when your dad came along, he was kind of a trendsetter on that bilingual part. And that was so important because our business had, had been elevated now to where it was a, not only the visual and the read, but it now it was a verbal thing like Piper was, was creating there, the verbal the verbal heat that, that he could get. So your dad being a bilingual guy, he was kind of a pioneer at that kind of set the tone for, for the elevation of, of, of the bilingual uh, Hispanic competitors. Absolutely correct. You had guys like Mil Mascaras before who were already stars in their own right. And Mil Mascaras is Mil Mascaras, uh, but was not bilingual. So it was hard for him to get behind the mic and and you know, a lot of this business is talking on that mic to get people in those seats. Um, my dad was was pioneer in Los Angeles. You got guys like Rock, Rocky Romero, you got Jose Lothario in Texas area. Uh, my grandfather did it also. He was bilingual and went from Mexico City and went to like Amarillo and different places, but definitely before his time, they weren't ready for that, you know, but yes. Was your grandfather running the territory there in El Paso? Yes, that was his part. He... That's why we settled in El Paso because it was such a border town. He was able to have, he was the first promoter to have over the, over the border also. He had a promotion in uh, El Paso, but also they went into Juarez, Mexico also. So he probably had competition coming up from Monterey from the Mexican uh, promoter, right? He, Absolutely. They, they probably Absolutely. both ran the, the border towns on Mexico, right? Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. You know, back then it was just, it was territories, you know, and you, sometimes you respected your your boundaries and sometimes you didn't but yes they had definitely um their um rivalries and their their competition my my grandfather because he was in el paso would use a lot of like the world-class boys you know like uh, the von eric would come through and uh yeah. you know they, a lot of times like that so he would build his promotion around that stuff i was really really fortunate i got to work for your grandfather uh, as I, I mentioned earlier and and then I having those shows and working those shows was a true experience because the shows would start really early and then and at, you know at border town so at the beginning a lot of the preliminary matches he'd probably have a dozen preliminary matches with a lot of Mexican guys that come over the border to kind of see the show and 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 a Gringo kind of saw working so you'd set through set through that before he'd bring the main card on the main card was was racially mixed of course and uh, but man, what 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 a festival type atmosphere that old arena there. Yeah, they used to do the, the bull ring also in Juarez, Mexico. And I mean it was it was it was they had he had a great little promotion going there. But in El Paso, everybody went through that. I mean, he was um, you know, Pat Patterson went through there and Pat, I even talked to Pat before he passed away and was telling me about it. He said, uh, he said, you know, they brought me in to wrestle, you know, your dad. And he goes, No, I don't I want to wrestle the old man. 
And my grandfather was like, I don't, I'm not wrestling anymore. I'm just promoting. And, and Pat convinced him, get back in the ring. I want to wrestle you. So they re- they did a great angle. And, you know, Pat was so good at what he did. And, uh, you know, they, they sold the place out. And uh, a funny story, one time uh, I, I was in WCW when I first started, first broke in and my, uh, uh, the talent relations was J.J. Dillon. So J.J. Dillon had gotten mad at me for some reason. You know, of course, I did something. I don't know what I did. And he got mad at me. And I, I told my dad, I was like, oh, man. He's like, what's wrong? I said, oh, man, you know, J.J. got mad at me. He's like, <laughs> and my dad said, he's like, fuck J.J. You tell him, you remember when he went and wrestled for grandpa and got got locked up. He went across the border to go party in waters and got locked up in the Mexican jail. And grandpa bailed him out and got him out and got him across the border. <laughs> tell him that. <laughs> I was like, uh, uh, maybe not. Tell him that. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> I was down there one time with Gary Von Eric, and we'd gone across the border. We're in Laredo, went over to Nuevo Laredo. And yeah. Some guy, you know, long before cell, uh, cell cameras, some guy was taking a picture, and all the guys were were posing. And mm-hmm. I said, "Who is this guy?" They go, "Oh, it's 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 okay. He's with National Enquirer." <laughs> literally me and carrie went and jumped out a window and came down a fire escape and yeah well there was no self there was no cell phones back then but there was a national fire and they would uh yeah they would love to see you guys down there yeah there was and all the guys were posing i go what are you guys doing are you insane terry and i got asked to leave uh the border town there one night. If you can imagine me and Terry Funk and Morad together, <laughs> we were asked to leave, and they, they were very kind to us. They asked us to leave, or they told us we were going to jail. So I kind of elbowed Terry. Didn't want to leave, of course. But Terry, we got to go. As soon as we got across the border in, in El Paso, USA, the border cops were waiting there for us. And guy, right there is your hotel. If we see that car missing from that hotel parking lot, we'll come and arrest you and put you in jail. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah. I just talked to uh, um, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin recently, wow. and he was telling me a story about how he learned not to drink with Chris Adams, with gentleman Chris Adams. And he said, you know, Chris Adams was such a nicest guy, and I love Chris Adams. But if he drank, he was not as nice. He was a mean guy, and he has no stories. He said, well, we went to Juarez, Mexico. We were wrestling in a class. We went to Juarez. And we're hanging out there and just drinking. And you know, Jimmy Garvin's such a nice guy. He's so nice. And uh, you know, of course, they start drinking a little bit, and and uh, Chris Adams starts getting drunk and starts berating the some of the Mexican people, and they 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 want to they want to fight, and he's ready to fight them all, and they're like Jimmy Garvin's like, let's gotta get out of here, get out of here. So they did something to where they were able to run out. They ran out of the out of the bar, and people they were shooting at him, bah, 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 shooting at him. They ran. And Jimmy Garvin lost Chris Adams. He's like, they lost him. He ran across the border. He was scared, scared shit. This went across the border. Sure enough, about, you know, an hour later, Chris comes comes in and he's kind of beat up a little bit and he gets in there and they fall asleep. And in the morning, Chris Adams goes, what happened last night? <laughs> and and uh, Jimmy's like, well, you don't remember? He's like, I have no clue. How did I get beat up? He had no clue what happened. And Jimmy Garvin was like, we almost we were shooting shot at. We were they were shooting at us in bars, and uh, he's he's like that's how he learned not to drink with gentleman Chris Adams. Yeah. <laughs> so did your dad run? What towns did he run? He ran both sides of he ran both sides of the border. So he ran El Paso, yeah. Juarez, Laredo, yes. Nuevo Laredo, and Matamoros, and all those. Um, uh, well, I know it was Juarez a lot, and and the there was a lot of arenas in in Juarez. Juarez, there was you know the bull ring. There was these the Palacio. There was you know little smaller ones 
around there so he can run many different shows as opposed to just the Coliseum in uh, in El Paso. So he mainly focused there in those cities. That was enough for him. He wouldn't go down to Matamoros and that kind of those places, Laredo. Yeah. Your hmm. dad, uh, I laughed because uh, he was such a big help to me and, and to Eddie. And uh, he came up with, he, he and, I don't know if he or Eddie came up with the idea of giving your mother, your grandmother, a oh, heart attack okay. on Mother's Day weekend in El Paso while she was honoring your grandfather, Gory Guerrero. Brother, but, that that made the, the heat that you got from that. Oh my god! And it was a house show, and they 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 videoed it. Oh my god! What? Yeah, they had to they had to give me a police escort out of El Paso, and they made me drive all the way to Odessa. They said, if you stay in town, we, we can't guarantee somebody won't kill you. So, <laughs> they wanted to kill you, and that, they wanted to kill you. Yeah, they did. Well, it, was, it was pretty hairy. Were you in town at that uh, that event, Tom? I was there. I was there, and I remember. Because my was dad, the reaction? I mean, you guys, I mean, you, you guys been in business forever. No, 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 no business is what it is, but still that's your, that's your grandmother. <laughs> it was my dad's idea. My dad wanted to do it. He wanted, we wanted my dad, my grandma to take a bump. He did. Well, he probably he did. got it off a pipe. And, and he was like going, a donkey. <laughs> yeah, Eddie was going, she's 80 years old. What do you mean she's <laughs> taking a bump? Not take a bump. You could do a heart attack and, and John played it off perfect where he kind of, he didn't touch her, but kind of, and she had the heart attack. And I remember watching it with Vince and Vince was like, cause my grandmother, you know, she was part of the wrestling business because that was our business. So she used to take tickets, ticket sales of work concessions. And she knew all the, you know, count the money and pay the wrestlers and stuff back in the day. So of course this, our promotion had been long gone, but when she even walked, got into the ring, I remember Vince going, oh my, she didn't even know how to get in the ring correctly. This is amazing. It, you know, in Vince's voice and man, that was uh, what I was watching. I think as I was, me and Eddie had already split and I was already, uh, you know, doing the cruiserweight thing and I was a heel and um, Eddie was running with, with Big John and uh, man, it was, it was such heat. They just played it off so well. That, that whole, that whole angle. That whole marriage, your guys' marriage was so good. It was so good. I mean, you did so many different things. It was great. That it's, 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 amazing, it's amazing. You know, none of that stuff could be done nowadays. And we, we got out there. <laughs> a lot of heat. We got a lot of side heat even back in those days. But man, now we've been taken off the TV and showed the, showed the damn door nowadays. <laughs> you know, but it was, you know what? It, it, I think, and, and, I, and I, I, I hate to compare because every generation compared and you know, it, it just, the reason I think it's changed is because, I mean, you guys, God, man, you guys were, you guys were working together, but you guys were beating the crap out of each other every freaking night. You were given that, that when you laid that clothesline in, <laughs> I think Stan Hansen was going, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> what, we did with, what we did with the grandmother, uh, Eddie's mom, was yeah. I, I put my hand on her shoulder, but that That's allowed right. her that allowed her to grab my hand and help herself down. So it looked oh. like I was throw, pushing her down, but she she had that was her way right. of not having to take a bump. And I'm I'm three feet from her, an arm length, and I'm right. thinking this woman has just had a heart attack. I'm like, right. is there a Guerrero that can't work? <laughs> it was unbelievable. Vicky and the kids were screaming at ringside. Eddie's yeah. in the ring. The place is dead silent, and Eddie yeah. goes. You better get the fuck out of here, SA. Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna kill you. And they and had extra, was, they had extra state was, troopers around the ring that to get me. Yeah, and it was that was at the Coliseum. It wasn't at the the Don Haskins Arena at UTEP. It was at the call the old Coliseum that we used right. to run it. Man, bro, 
it was amazing. It was just the electricity in there that I, I can't explain it, man. It's very hard to, to do. You, it's just magic. You guys know when that'll, it's just. And after, after that, we were in the Southwest, a bunch, you know, huge oh. Hispanic crowds. I had to have protection. We had guys jumping in the ring. It was unbelievable. We went from not knowing if we could sell at the Staples Center to setting an attendance record at the Staples Center after That's that right. video, after the video area. That's was right. Unreal. That's right, man. You know, and I I was remember you saying too, like, hey, there would be no JBL without Eddie Guerrero, and that was the, right. that was yeah, man, hundred percent. I was yeah. in the back when your dad pitched the idea to me. So th this is awesome. So so just like two typical <laughs> brothers. So uh, Chavo Sr. is pitching the idea, and Eddie's there listening. And and Chavo you, and Eddie, you could tell, you know, Chavo was voting. Chavo was voting Eddie, their mom to take it off. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Eddie's going, Chavo, she's a 74-year-old lady. I have her own show. She's, she's not taking a bump. And Chavo, Chavo now knows he's got it, you know. And Eddie <laughs> knows Chavo's working him up, but they're brothers. It doesn't matter. Eddie's still getting worked up. So it's finally Chavo says, okay. How about John just hit you with a little lariat? <laughs> a little lariat. A little lariat. No, Chavo. He goes, okay, 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 Eddie. He goes, how about big boot and mom gets a little color? <laughs> and, now, and now I think Eddie and Chavo are going to fight. And I'm the only one in the dressing room with them. And I'm like, guys, please. <laughs> it's a wonderful idea. I really don't want to see a brother fight right now. <laughs> I, I don't think there a little lariat is even in your repertoire. <laughs> it was so good when he when he said, and then mom gets a little color, and Eddie, <laughs> Eddie gets so bad. And the good part was Eddie knew your your dad was working him up, and he still got mad. They're brothers. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's. You, my dad knew how to push his buttons, man. My dad used to he knew how to push all of our buttons. <laughs> Chavo, we've, uh, we've jumped all over the place here. Let's let's go to the beginning. You know, when when you were trained, when you got out, what age were you when you when yeah, you always knew that this was the business for you. I would assume, but when when and who who which one of the girls actually was the was the in the ring with you trying to teach you? Yeah, you know, so I, I, of course, our our business. The it's not like now to where they, you know you get fame and fortune and stuff. Our, just the way we paid bills and kept food on the table was through wrestling. That was our business. Whether you owned the bodega on the, on the corner and, you know, the children followed in the footsteps or they were law enforcement or they were military family, we were a wrestling family. And that's just how we paid the bills. You know, and they weren't rich. They just were just modest house. And just that's just what it was. Um, so wrestling was everything. We had a wrestling ring in our backyard. You know, our lives revolved around wrestling. So I always wanted to be a wrestler. I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. So we were always in the ring, always playing in the ring. I could always do all the moves, but you don't know why you were doing them. You know, I could, you know, doing head scissors and backflips off the top. Or I, I did all that. That was just fun. We were playing as, you know, 10-year-olds doing that. But learning how to really how to how to work, everybody had a hand in it. They really they did. You know, um, my, uncle, my uncle Mondo really did. He took a lot of time in California to take me. He had a wrestling school at the time, and uh, would take me out to the ring and really, you know, just take a lot of time with me. Then um, when I was about twenty, when twenty four, I had made my debut at twenty three. But really, when I was about close to close to twenty five, I was like that. That's it. I. I, I got to do this now or it's not going to happen. So uh, I wanted to do when I was 18 and my dad's like, uh, 
first of all, they're going to kill you for all the stuff that we've done. <laughs> they're not ready yet. So they're going to beat you up. Your, and dad, one, your dad, who I love, realized yes. that you were going to suffer for all of his ribs. Absolutely. Oh, no, absolutely. For sure. And I remember 18, my dad was talking to Billy Robinson when he was doing UWF in in uh, in japan and he was like hey you know maybe we should send him over there and i was like yeah okay yeah and then i saw the style i was like oh no oh no, oh, no. <laughs> so um you know and it was just like it just wasn't we didn't know when the right time was then i started getting you know really hitting the gym hard and really training and starting to be able to handle myself a little bit more and at 23 i made my debut in the olympic auditorium really did um and then um you know you wrestled you know 10, 15 times here and there. Um, then I, I left everything. I was a bartender in, in, uh, in uh, California. I quit and moved in with Eddie in, in El Paso. And uh, when I did that, just to train for us, I didn't know what was going to happen. It was just no guarantees just to go there and train. And um, I would wrestle across the border in Juarez a lot. And Eddie had a big hand being in the ring with me then. Uh, Michael Hector, if he was around, he definitely would. Uh, my dad here and there, he, he did at times, and at times he didn't. He was busy doing his thing. And then um, Manny Fernandez, in fact, the old Manny, Raging Bull, got in the ring with me a whole bunch of times. And uh, so it kind of had a little bit of everybody's influence. Um, and then 10 months later, I was in WCW. So <laughs> kind of weird, huh? Yeah. Who are you, you working for in Mexico? Everybody. All just independent promotions. All independent promotions. So what Russell... Eight, eight or ten different places. Sometimes I wrestled two or three times in a night. Right. Um, and front sometimes it was in front of, you know, ten people, fifteen people. Um, at one time I remember wrestling Eddie. I had some good, good advice. You know, you always think you're better than you actually are. And um, I think I was wrestling in front of, you know, it was twenty people there or whatever. And I was kind of pissed off and just get done. And Eddie looks at me because he went to see me that night and he goes, he goes, first of all, who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And he goes just get in the ring and I don't care if front of five people or from 5,000 people. He goes, get in the ring and you wrestle, get that mat time. He goes, it's harder to wrestle in front of five people than it is 5,000 people. So that's when you even get better. So go wrestle in front of 10 people. That's when you, you perfect your craft. And so I was like, just get that mat time. So I will try to wrestle as much as I can. And really, I mean, when I, when I got a tryout at WCW because Eddie was there and, and they were really hiring a lot of cruiserweights at the time. Um, I, I really, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, I was lucky enough to work with Steve Regal. Regal asked to work for me, with me. We worked a dark match. He made me look much better than I was. Eric Bischoff hired me right there and I learned on the job, really. You know, it's, it's the thing about wrestling. It's like anything. It's up to musicians, the same thing. If you can, if you can wrestle in front of 50 people, 5,000 is easy. I tell people that all the time. If I do a seminar, if I'm talking to people, I tell them, wrestling at WrestleMania, that's a piece of cake. Once you get over the fear of being in front of yeah. 60,000 people, it's a piece of cake because anything you do, they pop on. That's nothing. I, I go, you, you want to be good at your craft? You go wrestle in front of 50 people. That's when you get good. And you can, and you can get them going. You can get them to stand up. That's when you know you're doing well. We had uh, Freddie Prince Jr. on here, and he was talking yeah. about uh, your dad was friends with his, his dad. Was that, right. was that was that from Los Angeles? I, I guess that's because that's where Mondo got into Hollywood. And was that because your dad was such a big baby face there at the Coliseum? Yeah, they were. I mean, it was it was 
Hollywood back then, you know, NWA Hollywood, it was called. And there, because of the boxing, the roller derby and the wrestling, a lot of stars would come watch the matches, you know, and um, people like, so superstar Billy Graham was over there and he was friends with Arnold and they'd go work out all the time. And Arnold was already a Mr. Olympia and he was going, how come everybody recognizes, uh, you know, his Arnold voice, Billy, how come everybody recognizes you and no one knows who I am? It's because of wrestling. Wrestling was that popular, you know? So my dad knew all the, you know, all the, the, the stars in that area, you know, Burt Reynolds and uh, um, God, one time. So um, they went to go eat at, I think it was a Brown Derby over there in, in, um, in Hollywood. And he went with Mike LaBelle to go eat the Brown Derby. And they sat down and Frank Sinatra's behind my dad. And my, dad, my dad's like, holy shit, that's Frank Sinatra. <laughs> and, and Mike LaBelle goes, oh, oh, you want to meet him? Hey, Frank. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Hey, this is our, this is Chavo Guerrero. He's our new up and coming wrestlers. Hey, nice to meet you, sir. I mean, it was, it was like that. That's the way it was. There was no cell phone cameras. Everybody would go out all the time. And, and hang <laughs> that's out. right. That's right. You don't get worried about getting stooged. That's right. That's right. You know, yeah, for sure. But you know, that in LA, that culture, no one really cares. Everybody's in the, everybody's in that entertainment business somehow they're either musicians right. at the whiskey a go-go or they're they were wrestlers back then at you know or they're boxers or they're you know in hollywood and so they all kind of ran together you know and and you know jerry you gonna you know the 80s you guys were running really hard <laughs> really hard yeah. <laughs> really hard so yeah and it was, they were they were doing that and they were there was they were you know they, they were it was hollywood yeah, it's just a different time, you know, as, as Jerry will attest. <laughs> I, I have a slight member left. It's called the 80s. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. you gotta, yeah I, do, do you have a book out, Jerry? Because you, if you don't, you, they just, you need to write a book with all the stuff. Oh, seen. no, I'm Layfield getting my book out of me during these podcasts. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah. right. Please get that book out. And I remember... Uh, this is so my family should talk about your family. And my dad remember when he was wrestling at, at uh, University of Texas at El Paso, UTEP, and he was an amateur wrestler there. He was, he would study your brother's, your brother had never been taken down ever, in, you know, in, 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 um, in, a, in an amateur wrestling match. So they would study and study and study. So he would tell me, they would tell me stories about, and then when they would work together and work with you and talking about, the Orlando gold days. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, one, one, one thing about it, Charles, the old man always wanted to try me and Jack. It didn't matter which one. He just wanted to try it for really? some reason. Yeah. That's, that's a Guerrero family, brother. I think, it's, <laughs> I think it's like Kurt Angle. You'd like, you yeah. get in the ring with Kurt Angle. You just want to see where you're at. You know, I remember one time we were, you know, Ed, Eddie and I were tagging and we were wrestling Benoit and, Ang and Angle. And you know, you could, Kurt knew where you were going before you went. That's how he was, yeah. so, he's yeah. above me. Yeah. Before you knew it. one time I took him down. Of course he was, he was in and out in two, in two seconds, but he, he told me, he goes, he goes, Hey, you got me. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I was enough for me. I, I was, I go, that was enough for me. I don't care if he would, of course, would have wiped me up off the ground. I'm sure he did. Uh, but it was like, oh man, I, I got him. I got him one time. <laughs> yeah, but you forgot about that two seconds after you got him. What happened? <laughs> oh, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. <laughs> no, I got him. Yeah. I was smiling the whole time being stretched. I was smiling, going, yes. 
and, and, and the more the more the old man drank, the more he wanted to challenge us. To challenge absolutely, us. absolutely. Let's see what we, you were, got. we were in Japan, and, and Don Jardy, I think it was Jardy, you know, one of those really big guys like Jardy, had to pull the old man and I apart, like for just about every <laughs> night on the bus, you know, because it's just out of nothing, you know, just Oklahoma sucks or Texas sucks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Yeah, man, we get we get going, and, uh, we get pulled apart for some reason. Uh, now, but we wait, wait, wait you a know. minute! Wait a minute! You're blaming Chavo Senior for <laughs> drinking and wanting to wrestle. <laughs> you. <laughs> well, that's where I learned it from, John. <laughs> On a bus. Hey, hey! I, well, you know, I can't tell you how many times Jerry look at me about half cross-eyed and go, "Texas pussy." <laughs> oh my goodness! This is this is not going to end well. <laughs> and that's all it took, <laughs> Hey, uh, you know, my dad was—he was especially for all Japan. He was one of the only gaijins. It was him, Bruiser Brody, and Stan Hansen. Are always the three gaijins that were on the foreigners that were on every tour. So, you know, he learned how to be a rebel from the best. You know, so he became you know even more of an asshole. But um, so one time. And I don't know which organization it was for, you know, Nick Bockwinkle was there and Nick Bockwinkle always had the very first seat on the bus. The very first seat as soon as you got in was Nick Bockwinkle's seat. So, you know, the tour had been going on. He always sat there and everybody knew that's, you know, that's the, the AWA champion and that's Nick Bockwinkle. That's his seat. Well, sure enough, my dad gets on early one day and <laughs> sits in that seat. And, and as, as Nick walks up, he looks at my dad very, very Nick Bockwinkle way. And, and my dad goes, hey, you're not the champion. Get in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick probably didn't challenge him either. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, geez. I was sitting by Eddie when he got in a fight with Kurt Angle. I love so, You know, he, he comes out of the ring. You know, everybody knows the story. And he goes to leg dive Kurt Angle and they get into a fight. And so I'm in the dressing room. I'm dressing by Eddie. And like to get it, they come down the hall and you know, it's a fight. You can just hear the, you know, you know, a fight's going on. And I realized it's Eddie and Kurt are, are in a fight. So finally, John Laurinaitis closes the door and Eddie's just on this side of the dressing room with me. I don't know if anybody else is in there, but, and then Kurt's on the other side and they're getting Kurt out of there. Eddie comes and sits down there. He's just staring at the door, just <laughs> mad. Just, and I, I'm sitting there looking at him and I said, why would you leg dive a gold medalist? And he goes, because I'm stupid. <laughs> I think it was more. That like was a, great. But hey, uh, later I, I told him, I said, Eddie, punch a gold medalist. Don't, don't wrestle him. I think, it, I think it was like, I think it more went more like this. Eddie, um, you know that Kurt's an Olympic gold medalist, right? <laughs> uh, well, why would you try to leg dive him? <laughs> it was so good. Well, they hate one time, uh, uh, Eddie wrestled Brock Lesnar. And, you know, Brock was green, super green, and super strong, and God, you know, crazy. Uh, and, you know, Brock didn't know his own strength and, you know, kind of manhandled Eddie a little bit. Eddie was pissed, and he was waiting in that, in that locker room. And he cleared the locker room out and goes, Brock, let me talk to you right now. And they went and they closed the door. And I'm like, oh, shit, am I, am I going to have to jump into and help Eddie after he's been killed? <laughs> Could you pick somebody else, please? <laughs> sure enough, they got, it, they got into a little argument and then, you know, squashed it and all good. And, and uh, you know, Eddie, of course, apologized. I'm sorry, you know, you know whatever. But, um, yeah, I, I remember that was one time, you know, Eddie almost got into a Booker T 
in, uh, in, uh, in, if they were in the dressing room and Booker, Booker is no slouch. Booker's a man. You guys know. And, uh, Eddie's in his underwear and they're talking about something. Well, I could, I could be all you. I'll beat you. I'll beat you. I'll beat you. And they started getting heated. And it, people were looking like, oh, at first it was a joke. And then it kind of got into it. And I was like, oh. So I started kind of like, man, he's going to kill him. So I started like easing my way around kind of Booker to the other side going, if he, if they jumps in, I'm like, I got to jump in. I, I can't let Eddie just get beat. I got to jump in. And I'm looking, where's, where's Stevie at? Where's Stevie at? You know, because Stevie, <laughs> I don't think he's in the ring. Like, oh, great. And um, then nothing ever happened. It was done. They squashed really fast, never touched each other. And, and Booker goes, hey, Chavo, this is like a few days later. Like, yeah, he goes, were you going to jump in? And I said, what do you expect me to do? Man? I know. <laughs> That's great. Four, five foot eight. What do you expect? I go, yeah, I had to. <laughs> but Chavo, wait a minute now. I was in the dressing room when you almost got in a fight with Big Show. Yes. And you're giving up like 250, 300 pounds at the time. Because the show was huge at the time. Oh, yeah, more than that. He was fat as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Boy, I was giving up more than that. Show was at, show was at his absolute biggest, and I'm sitting there going, Oh my God. You know, I'm like, we, we got to break this up. Chavo's giving up 250, 300 pounds. I have no idea what it was over. I just remember you guys well, all got to this big You know, spot. and we, we, Show and I laugh about that now. We actually laugh about it. And I'm like, hey, man, thanks for not eating me. You know, but, but he, uh, I told him the same thing several times. I've seen you dig at him a couple of times. He was being Show and he was doing, I don't know what it was. And I was being me and I got honor at him. And of course, I know my limitations. I didn't say the first F you and I didn't stand up first. But I wasn't going to let him do it either. So, I mean, we had... We had the whole locker room. I had Bob Holly holding him back. I had Billy Gunn holding me back. We were like, we were trying to get at each other. And I was, I was, I wanted to get at him, but I was scared. I was scared to hit him. <laughs> I felt his, this is the truth. There was eight people in between us. I felt his strength through everybody that if let's say I would have hit him and got him really mad, he would have gone through us all. I, I, that's what yeah. I felt. Yeah. He's a true giant. I, I felt one, that one time backstage, he told me, he goes, I'm going to pick you up over my head, you know, and, and I'm six, six. It's, it's not yeah. that he can't lift, you know, at the time of 300 pounds. I said, you know, show him unwieldy, wieldy. How, how are you going to do that? Right. Literally backstage, he picked me up over his head. He just picked me up. Going, you gotta be kidding me. Oh, yeah. This man is a giant. He's a legit, legit giant. Legit. Um, and I was thank in the ring. He's a nice guy. Yeah, thank God. Well, he, you, you weren't always a nice guy. Well, I remember Japan one time, and you were egging him, and you were egging him, and you were getting him going. And you, I think, I don't know if you were calling him Shrek or what you were calling I always, him. Yeah, I, I would, I would, I would I, he finally started getting me back. I'd call him Shrek, and he'd go, come along, donkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, he, you had him so mad that he was at catering, and and I think you had a couple of drinks, and, and he was – he got so mad that I hear him ah, and slams the door and walks out. And, and I was, I was like, bro, like, I, that's a big show. And you're like, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> you were ready. I was like, Oh man. <laughs> you, you know, the bottom line is it's a good thing. Big show was so much smarter than Eddie and John or, or we were <laughs> that's minus right. two superstars. Right. <laughs> Every time I see show, I tell him now, thank you for not eating. I appreciate oh, it. I'm the same. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I look at him and I'm like, 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 oh, thank you, brother. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. oh, well, got into me, but and he was like, Hey man, you know, you get, you get a pass. I was like, okay. I used to tell him all the time, I said, show now, if you eat me, don't shit me out because my wife will leave me. <laughs> he would just, he finally, oh. he would laugh. You know, I'd get him to the point where he's, I think he's going to kill me. Then finally he would just laugh. 
Well, you, well, when you guys did, did did the Shrek thing in Europe with him, and you had you know you had the uh, well, how did that all start? Because you were oh, I was Shrek. in the ring with Kurt Angle, and uh, well, you were calling Shrek or something first. You're doing Shrek, something yeah. on Shrek, yeah. Shrek, and then somebody had like a, a sign, like a picture of Shrek, and you asked them, "Hey, will you sign this or something like that?" And you got pissed off at that, and then then go on. Yes. And, and yeah, wait, you asking but sign a picture of Shrek? No, yes. no, we had a fan had a, uh, had a picture of Shrek, and we had him take it to show. Wait a minute. That was Meredith's picture, was wasn't it? That's right. My wife, Meredith, had a picture of uh, Shrek. She loved Shrek. So we gave it to a fan and said, hey, go ask show to sign oh. <laughs> it. Was, it was several of us. I won't say who all. <laughs> Everybody's right. You are a bully, Lakefield. Yes. <laughs> No. Bully, bully at a seven foot five hundred pound job. So show is at the bar and everybody's bothered. You know, he's a giant. You know, he can't hide anywhere. Finally, he, he takes he takes the thing, goes, All right, I'll sign it. And he grabs it and it's a picture of Shrek. <laughs> and he looks at it and he looks around and he sees who all is there. It's <laughs> yeah. And and finally and you see him start laughing. And <laughs> then go, thank goodness he found that funny. Then we're in the ring. It's me and Kurt Angle waiting to wrestle uh show. And show's coming out. All of a sudden, halfway down, it says, hey, now, you're an all-star Shrek theme music. Yes. <laughs> well, it, went, it, went, it, went, it hit his music first. It went, well, like, I'm the big, well, hey, now, I'm a rock star. You <laughs> never saw somebody run so fast that ring. He ran the ring. John bailed out. And Kurt was left in there, but like, what's, what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Kurt had no idea, and you were pointing at Kurt. It's Kurt. It's Kurt. Kurt's like, I did. I, I, <laughs> Kurt. Kurt asked me. He goes, "What is that?" I go, "It's Shrek's theme music." He goes, "Oh my God, he's gonna kill us!" I go, "Don't worry, I'll take Don't responsibility." Worry. So as soon as the show gets the ring, I said, "I swear to you, Kurt did it. I had nothing to do with it." And I jumped out of the ring, and Kurt's just standing there. Show is so mad. He chased me around. I'm like, if he catches me. He's gonna kill me. Yeah. Kill you. Okay. And that's what when show when remember when he he left for a while and tried to tried to do some boxing and stuff and yeah. kind of left for a while. And well, when he came back, it was a year, year and a half later. I asked him, I go, what? Oh, you know, you're you're doing all right. You're doing why, why did you come back? And he goes, to be honest, you're you guys are the only ones that treat me like a like an actual human being. He goes, everywhere else in the world, you know, I, I can I can do anything I want. Because I, I'm so big, that I can get away with anything. You guys are the only ones that don't let me get away with anything. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, you're the only ones that make fun of me and joke with me and poke me and stuff. He goes, I missed it. <laughs> wow. It's true. Show is show a wonderful man. He's a wonderful guy. Thank God. <laughs> thank, God. Yeah, thank God. Or else yeah, we, yeah, we really. would all be dead. Oh, my goodness. I was yeah. I was sitting on an airplane one time. This big guy I knew, he was a basketball player, he was like six six or something. Just big, big slim guy, looked like an athlete. We started talking. We're leaving Atlanta, going to L.A. And it turned out the guy was that Cooper guy that played for the uh, for the Lakers out there. Yeah, Michael Cooper. Yeah, Michael Cooper. But he Hellman Hellman show played on the same college team, Wichita Shockers together. Oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, when, when they introduced each other, he said, you're a wrestler. I said, yeah. He said, I know somebody. I said, where'd you play college basketball for? He said, what's called so? He said, I know who you, who you know. He said, Paul. He said, that's the laziest, slowest-ass white man I ever met in my life. 
But man, he thinks he's the biggest lover boy that ever crossed the path. I think, yep. You know, show, you know, show. And he, he proceeded to tell me some stories <coughs> about Paul and Wichita State, man. And most of them resolved around the cafeteria meeting. <laughs> <laughs> well, when he first, well, when show first came into to WCW, I mean, he was a specimen, man. He was a he was a big in shape. I mean, he was lean before he just before he got really, really big. Man, he was he was he was an athlete, man. He was doing kip-ups and would drop kick off the top rope. He could do a lot of stuff, man. Yeah, he looks great now, and he's still yeah. well, well, probably 350, 400. He looked yeah, he, he dropped a lot of weight. And, he and about, he looks great. An incredible athlete. He really is. Man. Absolutely. You know, the only time that Eddie and I never got into a fight. The only time Eddie and I actually had a disagreement was in the ring. We had a, a guy jumped in the ring to come after me. I think we're in San Bernardino. So the guy's trying to get trying to get to me after the video aired. And Eddie gets so mad. He goes, that guy just screwed up our match. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> Eddie, I'm the heel. Let me take care of this guy. And Eddie goes after him. And I literally, I double waist lock Eddie and I hold on to him. Eddie was <laughs> wanting to fight the guy. And finally, little Hebner, uh, baby, uh, Brian yeah. Hebner, just punched the guy in the face as he's coming. <laughs> he really just knocks him out of the ring. But Eddie was so mad, he still wanted to go after him. I go, Eddie, I'm the heel. They're coming after me. It kind of kills all the heat if yeah. you beat up the fan. Hey, that happened to us in, we were in Canada somewhere. I don't know, was it Edmonton or one of those towns? And we were, me and Eddie were wrestling the Bashams. So, we're wrestling the Bashams and and kind of getting close to going home. I'm I'm taking the heat. I'm getting ready to do the hot tag. So we're letting the we're letting the crowd die down a little bit before the hot tag. And all of a sudden, I hear a, a loud noise and like like a roar. And I'm going, they shouldn't be roaring right now. I don't know what's going on. Why are they that they, they, they shouldn't be roaring? You know. And uh, hold on a second. Let me, let me close this door real quick, guys. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Only on Briscoe and Bradshaw you get. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. All right. So, so um, I, I go uh, and I hear like I hear them, the, the the fans coming and they shouldn't they should be silent. I don't know what what's going on why they're they're coming and I I look I guess one of the bastards that pop Eddie off off the apron and he was down selling and and then somebody had poured a beer over the rail onto Eddie's head. And when they poured on Eddie, said Eddie was a recovering alcoholic at the time, you know, and he was like, I think you're right. Yeah, Winnipeg. They poured it over his head, and Eddie went from a cell and chopped up and jumped in the crowd and grabbed the guy, and they were going, they were going at him. The guy was running, and sure enough, you know, like they, they broke it up, and the security grabbed the guy and arrested him. Eddie comes in, the, and I'm like, what's going on? The match stopped. The match totally stopped. Eddie comes in the ring and he grabs a microphone and he goes, You know, I apologize. I'm a recovering alcoholic, and this gentleman, he threw a, uh, put a beer on me, and it was a direct insult. I take sobriety seriously, and, and, you know, and I'm a Christian that shouldn't have done it like that, shouldn't react like that. And, and really, everybody started listening. Like, uh, I'm thinking, how are we going to get the match back? I'm like, how are we going to, what, what should we do? <laughs> and, and Eddie's doing it, and as soon as we got done, he gets the mic, and he looks at the bashers and goes, jump us. And sure enough, I, I, Bashams jumped us right back there. Boom, but people started booing. We went right into the finish, right into the comeback, right into the finish. It was gold. It was, it was awesome. 
it was uh, I, awesome. We got the, 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 the fans boo the hell out of him because it was a great moment. It was a feel-good moment. The way Eddie did it was apologizing, and the bastards got it. It was great. Couldn't let, me, let me tell you a backstory that you're not aware of for that night. So oh. Jack Lanza was the agent, as he always was. Bob Holiday was up there. Jack had something he wanted to go do, and so he asked me, he goes, John, would you watch the show? And so, you know, kind of, you know, just fill oh. Jack's role at the curtain. Right, so right. I'm sitting there now. I'm a heel. I can't do anything. And I see Eddie get into the fight after the guy poured the beer on me. Eddie jumped, as you say, jumped. The, I watched, I'm sitting there watching the whole thing in Hard shock yeah. because I am now temporarily in charge of the show. Right. So, oh, wow. So <laughs> I'm sitting there watching him. Oh, my God. What do I do? I, I can't go out. You know, Lanza can go out and help him because, you know, he's an agent. And then, you know, I'm a heel. If I go out, don't tell what's going to happen. So I'm sitting there watching him. Oh, geez. And finally got separated. Eddie cut the promo and did the thing. Another match goes on. Lanza comes back. (laughs) And he says, how's the show going? I go, oh, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Lanza would have been grabbing his tie. Go home. Go home. Go home. Yeah. Yeah. The one show I get per- temporarily put in charge of. <laughs> We're great. We're great. No problem. All good. Good. Eddie's and we, and we could go back there for the next year and a half. Eddie's <laughs> an entire section of fans. <laughs> good times. Charles, Chavo, so you, you were down in WCW, man, and, 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 and you're working down there. And what? how did the big jump to uh, WWE come on? You know, we were there when when they when they did the when you guys did the buyout. You know, we we were we didn't know at, at the time WCW went from a Turner owned product to a a Time Warner product, then to an AOL product. So it kept changing, and that's when they were like, you know, if he wouldn't Turner, Turner would have, you know, he he loved wrestling and loved the sports. Well, to AOL, we were just a number, and our numbers weren't adding up. So they're like, oh, we got to get rid of these guys. So that's when we you know Fusion Group was getting. We were thinking about buying us, and we, no one really knew what was going on and what was going to happen with that WCW with us. You know, we had no clue. Um, you know, I was still young in the business. I felt, ah, you know, what well, doesn't really matter what happens. I'll, I'll be all out of my feet. Is what I felt very naively. But um, and then we got to Panama City, and when we got to Panama City, and we saw you there, and we saw. Uh, I think Sarge was there and all the WWE agents, uh, WWF agents at the time. And we're like, we got bought. Are you kidding me? Wow. I was there. And that's the, I, my contract was one of the, the 19 that were picked up out of all those people and went to, uh, to WWE, WWF at the time. That, that's how I, I made the jump. Did you guys have a feeling because the rumors were going Eric Bischoff had put together a group was going to buy WCW and a couple right, other yes. groups. Luger told us a story how he kind of knew that the that WCW had no no uh, no uh, future with uh, AOL because every year you know they take certain talent out to either Vegas or New York where they're premiering all the shows. Right. And they t- they took Luger out there as part of TBS, and uh, he's watching seeing the rundown of all the shows, and he told us. They're running down all these shows. He said, I'm looking for WCW, and there's no WCW advertised. So I'm thinking in the back of my mind, you know, hey, this is the end. You know, they don't, they don't want us anymore. Right. I guess that's when Bischoff was putting together a, a, a group to buy us, and all of a sudden, you guys show up in Panama City, and they're, they're, they're the evil guys. Are. So, well, you know, we well, loved it. I was, I, was, I was excited, man. I was really, really excited to have the opportunity at least to be able to go to, w, to WWF because we knew – 
you know, we were WCW and we know at one point they were beating WWF in the ratings, but we knew where, where you, if you really were making in this business, where you went and it was, it was New York. And, you know, I was really excited to be able to act, maybe have the chance to go there. Eddie was already there and, you know, Dean and Chris and the radicals had jumped over there. So man, it was just, it was new territory and to work for Vince McMahon. I was like, I, it was, it was, I was so happy, you know, so ready to. I remember, hey, I don't know if you remember this, Jerry. So, you know, if we, now we come in, we're, I think before we even doing maybe, maybe some of the invasion angle, I'm not sure, but it was a, the match that was op the opening right before the pay-per-view. So it was like a, you know, like a five, eight minute match that was like a, 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 a televised match, but it was for the pay-per-view. And then you would buy the pay-per-view right there. It was like the prelim, basically. And then you buy the pay-per-view right there. Well, I was dressed as Scotty Too Hottie. And at the time, you know, we were, we didn't know how to really call it in the ring. We, 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 had, a, we had a finish mapped out, how we wanted to map the finish out and stuff. So we had a finish mapped out. We were going and they're saying, go home. You guys, you guys got to go home. And you're saying, you're, you're working time. Tell them to go home. Tell them to go home. We got to go home. And sure, I'm like, all right, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. And sure enough, I didn't think we did the finish like you know, five seconds before we were going dark or whatever it was. And we made the time, but it was, I mean, it was, you guys were pissed. I got in the back and you called me over and you sat me down and you said, hey, I love your family. But if you can't hold your time, you're not going to be here very long. And I was like, Ooh, okay, okay, okay. I remember that, you know, I told you, he sat me down and stuff like, no, all right. I was like, oh, I better, I better, I better know how to call this in the ring. Jerry, you're such a mean guy. I'm a bully, man. I learned it from you. You were, you yeah, were, you were, yeah, yeah, point. You were right to the straight to the point, but you weren't, you weren't a jerk about it, but you were like, hey. That's not going to fly here. I don't know how you guys did it over here, but this is what we do it here. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Jerry has such a nice way about it. About six months after I got here, I put on some weight, you know, you know traveling around. Jerry comes to me and goes, you're fat. Vince noticed, lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I see you found, found it. Yeah, that, that was a heck of a night there that night, that whole process there, you know, and I have been, you know, been a talent, you just, you could relate to what was going on on the other side, but yeah. on, on the, on the inside too, you're just so happy because we got our asses kicked so hard and so long, you know, but right. finally that perseverance had, had paid off, man, so it, it was, it was a thrill that night, but yet, you know, we could understand what the, the, the what you guys were going to do. We, we wanted to show you what we could do, you know, get in the ring and do stuff. And, you know, you guys already knew what we could do, what we could work or not, you know? So we just, you know, we were just, and I was wrestling Scotty for the first time. And <laughs> it was a, it, you know, WCW guy versus WWE, WWF guy. And man, it was, we were just, we we're just having fun, but, you know, we just. We were uh, there for one reason to make sure Shane McMahon had 20 minutes when he went in the ring there. That, right, yeah. That was, that was, don't come back unless you got, uh, got 20 minutes. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I remember that night. That was, that was a pretty, it was pretty, it was a pretty good night, man. I mean, it was, it was it's, it's historic and, you know, there's been DVDs written about it, stories written about it, but man, what a historic night to be able to be there. And I wrestled on that show. On that show, I wrestled. Shane Helms, who wrestled for the Cruiserweight Championship on that show. So, 
Well, Bruce, gonna... Bruce, Bruce approved the card that night. So if you ever say Bruce, you Bruce. I will. Absolutely. <laughs> I just I just talked to him recently, or I texted him recently, and I was just uh, I had just told him, hey man, I know you're in the eye of the hurricane right now. You know, oh really? Keep your head up, <laughs> your head up brother. And he was like, thanks, brother. <laughs> he he loves that though. He loves being in that hurricane, man. That's yeah. He does. Yeah, he actually does. He he loves crapping about being in the eye of the hurricane too. <laughs> does he ever? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's great. I miss I miss Brucey. You listen, Brucey. We love you, brother. <laughs> he doesn't watch his own podcast, much less ours. <laughs> yeah, we love we love Bruce. It's funny how you know a guy is uh, like Cena. You know, for right. half the crowd was chanting Cena sucks. Now they all love him. You know, because he's been around so long. People realize how great he is. You know, Absolutely. Bruce was, Bruce was on the outside. They're going. Well, if Bruce would just get in there, it, things would be better. Then he gets in there and go, oh, Bruce sucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know how it goes. Guys, yeah, it never the Not, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> when, when did Kerwin uh, Wyatt come up? Wow. That's, that's <laughs> oh, people, it's funny how him. many people remember and how many people. I'll do comments and I and they'll they'll have me sign Corbin White. Like there's a lot. Anytime I post them like on Instagram, I'll post a you know a golf you know day of, a day out there golf like like you do. Uh, you know I'll get I'll get fifty Corbin White posts, fifty comments saying talk about Corbin White. Well, that you know that happened. So I was, I don't know how it happened backstage, in, in the in the uh, creative room. But the way it happened to me is that I was, I got off a tour of Japan. We went right to Raw, right straight from Japan. And as soon as I got in there, I see Vince and he looks at me and goes, well, hello, Kerwin. And <laughs> Kerwin was our, you know, our director. Our director, yeah. Yeah, our that's director. right. Kerwin Sharpish. Yes, yes. Great guy. Loved him to death. He was awesome. Um, so I was Kerwin. Hmm. And I went, okay, what is this about? And he goes, well, well tonight... You are denouncing your Hispanic history, and you are becoming a white guy. <laughs> and voice, and I was like, "All right, so what, do I, what do I do with this?" I mean, I've told this story before. I'm like, "What do I do with this? Do I, you know, you make that split decision? It's like you either say no and you look in some place to have other place to have a job, or you say, "All right, let's do this." You know, so I'm like, "All right, how do you want to? All right, and what's, what's your idea?" So, real to be honest, I I pitched it to Vince, and I said, "Look, Vince." if we're going to do this and I'm, I'm pissing everybody off, right. I'm pissing the Hispanics off because I'm not Hispanic anymore, but I'm pissing all Caucasians off because I'm dressing, you know, all pastel colors and, you know, do, I'm just making fun of them also. So I'm, I'm pissing everybody off. So if we're going to do this, I mean, I, I want to go full. I want, I want to piss everybody off. I go, I want to come out. And well, of course, we couldn't do this now. Of course, it's changed. Like, I want to come out in a white sheet eventually. <laughs> and Vince was like, oh, yes. I love that. Absolutely. I mean, I literally, I mean, what did, I was, I was just a Mexican guy. It would be like the Dave Chappelle skit to where. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I thought of. The, the Ku Klux, you know, the grandmaster took it off and he was, he was a black man, you know. I, you know, I, I wanted to do that. And he, he loved it. I, you know, of course. I think it got a little too edgy, a little too racist. And of course, when, when Eddie passed, I switched right back to, to Chavo that night. So, and that was, Kerwin was done. Right. 
you know, and what a lot of people don't realize a little backstory is, uh, you know, Vince loved making characters after certain names. You know, you had uh, Freddie Joe uh, Floyd, uh, was it uh, Tracy Smothers, you know, who comes in. Kerwin, who was the producer, who, by right. the way, Kerwin was, I think, in Wilkes-Barre, and they walked in to hire the uh, producer. He was like a salesman or something, but he's wearing a suit. And they said, are you the pr uh, producer? He goes, yeah, <laughs> and, and took the job. Wow. <laughs> and ended up being a great producer. Wow. But well, apparently yeah, he, mistaken identity and he just he wanted a job, so he, he got one. I That's think cool. that whole character was a spinoff on uh on Brian Gewert's uh, alter ego, Ben Kerwin White there. But uh, I think that's <laughs> what uh Gewert wanted to be all the time was, was, was a guy like that. <laughs> Bro, you should see my wardrobe, man. I had when we stopped doing the Kerwin White giving, I had so many different green and pink sweaters and pastel colors Chavo, and... Chavo your 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 wardrobe came from a photograph of John Layfield uh, closet <laughs> closet that uh, his, took his high school yeah it was so much heat I, I I thought it was awesome yeah it was fun I you know I I did enjoy it you know of course being a a white guy now he had you know Vince had me wrestling all minorities so it was me wrestling, I'm a minority wrestling other minorities but I'm saying I'm white and it was oh man it was it could it would never fly today you just could not do it but at the time it was it was fun you know and I was coming out to you know they they did a, like a Frank Sinatra knockoff song and I was coming out in the in the golf cart and they got me a caddy it was it was fun <laughs> you had a caddy was one of the uh guys who uh yeah, his name was Nick Nemeth at the time. But yeah, that's that right. Yeah. That's right. Nick, Nick yeah. Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, he went on to become the heavyweight and the WWE champion. That's right, yes. Dolph. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. Yeah, yeah. He's my caddy. Yeah, he was my first caddy. Yeah, yeah, Nick. <laughs> Tremendous. Yeah, yeah. Well, great. What? You a, know what, what gets a, me is this: is you say, "Well, you can't do it today." You know, it's insane to me that you can't. Not, not that it's not in bad taste. It is in bad taste, but that's why you would do it. You're a heel. You know, and it, but apparently, it's a rest. You're 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 a movie character. It's like a movie. You can right. still do a movie about, let's say, about what being a, being a, a racist or being a, a a bigot or being a massage. You can do movies about it because it's not real. Well, we're not. We're just playing a character. That's the way I look at it. I'm not walking around town with a bandana on going viva la raza viva la raza that's i'm not that's chavo guerrero character wrestler that i'm actually playing it may be an extension of myself but it's not how i walk around all the time you're not walking around with your well cowboy hat and flashing money around and well maybe you are yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but you know, but, up, you know we're, we're playing we're playing characters out there so that's why i'm kind of like i i don't I just think, you know, it's maybe the, the culture's definitely changed and I understand why, but at the same time, it's like, guys, we're, we're playing, this is not real. People may blur that reality and if they do, then we're doing our jobs correctly. But, um, you know, it's, 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 it's character to me. Chavo, let's, let's jump over to the, probably one of the most tragic days in, in WWE history is the one we got the word that Eddie passed away there in Minneapolis there. Right. You, 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 and John were asked to do something that was probably next to impossible in most people's minds. But you guys kind of, kind of walked us through that, that, that day. You know, man, that was a tough one, man. You know, the night before, you know, Eddie and I just happened to be on the same flights together, and uh, uh, 
um, I, I connected through Phoenix. He had moved to Phoenix at this time. And, and we, I was like, Hey, what's up? And we sat together and we talked and, you know, we got to the, um, the Marriott there and went to our separate rooms and in the next morning, you know, what happened? So when we got to the arena, you know, of course they were like, shall we you do what you need to go home? Well, before, before that, I was talking to Vince and to Shawn Michaels and to Triple H. And they're like, what do we do? Do we cancel the show? It was a super show because we were going overseas to, to Europe. And I, and I was like, absolutely not. You do not cancel. There, Eddie would not, the show must go on. So Vince is like, you know, he, not that he listened to me, but at the same time, he took what I had said and he said, all right, well, we're, um, and made a tribute show, which was great. I mean, it was awesome. What a great tribute it was. <clears throat> but they, they said, you don't, you know, you don't just, you can go home. I said, no, 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 I'm wrestling tonight. I want to wrestle tonight. And John was there and John wanted to wrestle and wanted to wrestle me. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put you over in the ring. And he's like, no, you're not. I'm putting you over. And that's how it kind of went down. How do you remember John? Uh, very, very similar. Uh, I told him I wanted to wrestle Chavo because I had been Eddie's biggest nemesis, you know, and, and his biggest uh, you know, opponent. And I wanted to, I wanted to, to wrestle Chavo and put Chavo over, you know, that's the only way I wouldn't have done anything else never but that was my tribute to the Guerrero family and to Eddie you know it was the, the whole Guerrero family but they had all been so nice to me Eddie was such a, a good friend you know he's a groomsman at my wedding you know Eddie and I really got along I, I, I still think the world of Eddie and that was I wanted to do that for Eddie you know I wanted to do it uh, just like Eddie would do it, the lie cheating and steal with the chair with the frog splash the whole thing right that's right you, you know and we we really didn't talk much about the match we kind of just called most of it in there uh except you know we would do the you know the, the chair spot the frog splash but i remember one spot i said hey you know um i, I don't know if i said it i think hey maybe if you take a boot in the corner and i'll and i'll you know drop kick you or something like that and you were like oh well you know, i'll tell you what i'll take the boot um or I, I was charging you, you were giving me the boot. Then you were hitting the ropes for like the lariat, but I was going to drop kick you out, out of the blue. And you said, hey, man, I'm coming. Be ready, I'm coming. I said, yeah, okay, sure, no problem, no problem. And brother, when I, you gave me the boot, I turned one second. I turned thinking I was going to have time to set up for that drop kick and drop you. When I turned, you were there, bro. You hit the rope so fast and you came that I, I just jumped. I, I didn't even know, I just jumped. And I mean, if you look at it, it was timed perfectly, but it was not meant to be. I didn't you know because you were so fast. I just had to like squeeze and get my legs up there, and it worked out perfect. But bro, it's like I don't know how how that happened to be honest. Because my, you were so fast, you were so there so quickly. I just, I, I didn't know how I just jumped. Yeah, out I always had to warn people about that because they're not expecting it to happen that fast from, from the ropes. Yeah, you were, bro. When you said you were coming, you were coming, man. It was good. <laughs> But you know, to me, it was a it was a wonderful honor. It was an honor honor working with you. It was an honor for doing that for Eddie for the Guerrero family. You know, it's just a, something that I felt was important to me at least. I agree. You know, it, to me, it was a it was like you said, it was an honor. It was a gift. I got a gift to wrestle that night. Yeah. And and you know, it was just that the crowd was was magic. Was electric. Um, maybe two weeks later, Mick Foley had come back. And he and, and I didn't really know Mick too much at the time, 2005. 
you know, I knew him, but I didn't really know him. He'd already been gone for a while and stuff, but he'd come back for something and he pulled me aside and he says, Chavo, when you went up for that frog splash and you stopped and you pointed, he goes, that was, that moment was, was just amazing. And I was like, wow, coming from Nick, I was like, wow, thank you. That was really cool. Thank you, John. No, thank you. One One of the highlights of my career, brother. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's funny because during the time with Eddie and up until Eddie passed away, I'd walk around New York and there'd be like a, a Hispanic crew somewhere, work a group of Hispanic, whatever it was. And you'd hear them say something like, that oh, cop wrong. You know, <laughs> something they'd always, you always hear them curse me. You know, as I'd walk around because I was, I was Eddie Guerrero's uh, nemesis. You know, I was Eddie Guerrero's Absolutely. And, uh, after he passed away, they found out we were friends. And now I walk by, I'd walk by the same group and go, hey, hey. They know I'm friends with Eddie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure, man. For sure. Good times, man. Good times. <laughs> yeah, such, such a good dude. You know, just, just a, Eddie was so pleasant. You know, I'd always say Eddie was, to me, like, say, maybe the only person I've seen close to, like, Shawn Michaels around 95, 96 in that era, you know, when he was just – so athletic and just so on fire you know eddie would come out and it was like grabbing a uh an extension of a, a electric wire that wasn't grounded yeah you know, it just it was electric you know I, I talked to eddie in the back we had so many matches and i'd say what do you want to do and he goes oh let's just feel it out there you know and right. he couldn't tell you a match in the back and it wasn't because he wasn't smart he but he went by feel and the feel. stuff he would call it was well, you guys called the bull rope match in the stable center was just switching the title in the ring, right? That's right. The whole thing, the whole match in oh, the ring, right. even the finish. Yeah. When Pat came to us, uh, you know, when Pat left, I've told the story before, uh, I looked at Eddie. I said, is something wrong? He goes, I don't like it. And he, I said, what do you not like? And he said, any of it. And yeah. so I went to Pat and I said, Pat, I said, I got a problem. And he said, what is it? I said, Eddie doesn't like it. He said, which part? I said, any of it. And Pat, his credit goes, guys, I'm just trying to help. Do what you want. Call it what you want. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He had so much respect for Eddie. Right. He goes, what do you want to do? And I said, Eddie wants to call it all in the ring. And uh, Pat said, this is your match. Good luck. And, you know, he meant it. It wasn't a smart-ass good luck. It was, you know, when I came back, Pat said, you did it. You know, it's, it was. Well, you remember the, the juice that Eddie got that night? And uh, I remember because I was because I was like, dude, what'd you do? And he's like, man, I, I got some scar tissue up here. I really, I need yeah. some serious color that night. I really did. So, you know, he was like, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to take him to get stitched up that night because it was so bad. We had to take him, we had to go to the hospital to get it stitched up. And then that, what was it? The, the next, next night, the next night you brought over like a, Eddie's blade. It was a big steak knife. It was a big old steak knife from, yeah. <laughs> from like from Outback Steakhouse or something. Yeah. <laughs> I got this uh, steak knife, Jerry, and I'd wrap the bottom with tape. And it was like this huge blade. I go, Eddie, I found your blade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, you know, he showed me the blade before. He goes, I'm going with the business blade today. And yeah. <laughs> it goes, no, it's scar tissue. I want to make sure and hit it right. Yeah. He did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> bro, the color, bro, man. Wow. What a match, though. But just the, the like, you guys had it all the time. You guys had that match. You had that feeling because it was two pros. There's two pros in that ring going. And when you get that and that happens, you know, you get it with Flair and Steamboat. And you get it with Taker and Sean. You get, you know, but you guys are two pros in the ring, man. And it was 
It's gold. He called man. a spot gold. one time. I think it was in that match or the, or the next match where he, he says, you're going to back drop me on the table. We're in the ring at the time. Yes. And, and, I'm, and I'm like, what table? <laughs> and so anyway, finally we end up outside the ring and here he comes around. I go, well, I guess this is a spot. He caught that on the fly. I backdrop him. He launches up in the air, lands on the table. And, it, you know, it's yeah. just, he would think of stuff out there that yeah. it's like, you know, it's like a guy that everything slows down. They say Michael yeah. Jordan, things slow down. Yeah. With Eddie, yeah. things slowed down out there. He, everything became clear to him out there. When he was, when he was on, very few were better when he was on as far as his mind and he was feeling it man there's times that he'd be struggling for it and he, he'd get he'd get hard on himself and i'd come go back and go, man what a great match no nah, i just it wasn't there it wasn't there man it wasn't there tonight like, what are you talking about it's an amazing match but when he was on and he felt it bro there was very few very few were, were better yeah he gave me the line he called me one morning it was like one o'clock in the morning he was like i got, I got something for you i said I said, what is it? He goes, tell them my ancestors come over here in a boat, not an inner tube. Like, oh. Eddie, you're going to get me killed. He goes, no, 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 it's good, it's good, it's good stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He yeah. loved it. He loved it. Absolutely. He, he, I'm not sure he liked being a baby face. <laughs> well, well, there's, you know, there's that time when we have, we have a heel and a baby face and they're trying to outshine each other by making the other person look as good as they can. And that's what you guys did. You were you weren't worried about making you look good. You're about making him look good. He was worrying about selling for you, making you look good. So that's that. You know, that's it's just it's it's a lost art, guys. It really is. It's 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 to. I I just don't know, guy. It's it's hard. I don't know who's teaching them now, or maybe they're just they're just not getting the um, the the ring time like that anymore. But it, it's just I, I it's it is it's lost art. I, you, do you agree with me? And well, Chavo, Chavo, I agree. What I, what I think the problem is you hit on it. It's the ring time. I just ring time. These guys are pushed so fast and everything, and and we're we're living such a society where you can't tell those stories like like John and and Eddie were able to tell in there. Take to take your time to build in those spots. It's everything's just that that damn drive-by stuff where you got to boom get it out. So I think it's just lack of lack of ring time and and and. You go out for a match. I mean, you know, even John and Eddie, they when when you guys were having matches building this, you have 10, 15 minutes. Now they're lucky if they get five, six minutes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. right. That's right. So they're they're, they're rushed yeah. so much. It's it's I don't just don't think they have the time, like you said. Yeah, you're definitely right. And you guys, I mean, and and not and anybody listening, definitely not knocking any of the new guys. It's it's just it's it's times have changed. They always change. You got to change with them, and I I definitely know that. But when, let's say, Jerry, when you guys were wrestling, you know, there'd be five, five, five matches on the card. So you guys, each match, you, you know, you guys would, you'd go 15, 20, 25 minutes each match. And your first match, keep it, you know, keep it on the mat. Next, you know, in the ring, in the mat. And, you know, right. every match served its purpose. And then, um, you know, you guys, by the time you made it to WWF at the time, you guys had already been, You've been a heel in a territory. You've been a baby face in a territory. You've been tag team. You've been singles. You've been a manager. You, you've been under a mask. You've done everything. By the time you got there, you guys are already, you're at the top of your games. So I think what happened now is that they're, they're just, they're, this is their first territory. These guys are there are, is WWF and that's, or WWE and that's all they know now. So it, to me, you can't learn this business in two years. It's, it's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's hard when it's your first territory. Like absolutely, just, yeah, I think that's so important. You know, your our first territory, Jerry's first territory. I mean, that, I was that was a different guy that, that wrestled ten years later. Well, you yeah, were in world class. So John, you started in world class. You were in Japan. You wrestled in Europe. You know, with with Finley, and you were there for three months. And you 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 polished. You you already made most of your mistakes before you ever that's got. Right. Off, yeah. off national television, not on national, national television. television. Correct. Yeah, Big difference. <laughs> Big right. difference. I made mistakes in matches, you know, in Kumamoto, Japan, you know, where nobody, you know, that saw it outside of that arena. Right. And then by the yeah. time you get to WWE, you know how it was back then. You know, you, you'd already been, it's like, it was like the being in the NFL. You knew guys made it somewhere in college. Right. Now guys are going straight to the NFL and you're, you don't know if they're going to make it or not. And they're having to learn on national television. I, I just don't know how to make it today. I think it's, I think it's much tougher for these guys today really? than it was for us because we had such a learning process of so many different territories and so many different wonderful teachers. Yeah. And you, in the teachers, that's another point that the teachers are, are, or it's it, they're, they're dying it's like i said lost art there's not these people to teach the people anymore you um you, by the time you got to wwf at the time you still took you a while to make it you'd been everywhere already it still took you a while to make it right before i mean look at the, yeah. the before you rose to jbl character that's after how many years in the business did that happen oh yeah i got there in 95 and jbl was in 2004 so it was uh, you start, when did you start in the business oh in, in 90 so I'd, I'd wrestled i'd already wrestled i'd spent two years in europe you know like, like, like everybody i'd i'd wrestled in mexico i'd wrestled japan i'd wrestled the korea I'd wrestled yeah so you're, you're looking at you're already looking at 12 15 years in that's right yeah uh, of and, and not only 12 15 years in but 12 15 years in of having 250 or more matches a year Right. You know, a right. lot of these guys now, you know, they're in 10 years, but they're having, you know, a couple matches a month. Yeah. Yeah. And no, and that, and that's, I'm not that's, knocking them. I'm saying, no. I don't know how okay. they do it. Yeah, I agree. It's not their fault. It's absolutely not their fault. Because if you look at their match, they're much better athletes than we were. Much the, stuff that, the stuff that they can do, they're much better athletes. It's, it's, a, but, but what we do in the ring, and that's what I've, tell people always and I have to explain when I'm doing a, a movie set or whatever what I'm what we do is we tell stories it looks like we're being athletes but we're using athleticism to tell a story we're storytellers one thing about storytelling you, you, in coaching uh, Mondo was I didn't realize this until I started looking up uh, your bio and stuff you know getting ready for the interview was Mondo was the first glow coordinator it's right before you before you were is that is that how you the, the connection that got you there well he was the original glow um coordinator for the original show in 19 whatever 86 right. yeah. whatever it was the original glow ladies he was the original teacher um he was there for about a season or two and then went off so when they were revamping it i somebody brought it to my attention i saw on variety or one of the, the news outlets that, you know, hey, Genji Cohen is revamping Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. So I try to, you know, I'm like, I got to get in touch with this girl. So I try to get in touch with her. I try to get in touch with Liz Playhive, the other creator, or Carly Mensch. And it's impossible. There's no way to, to contact Brad Pitt. It's not going to happen. So it, it didn't happen. And then out of the blue, out of the blue, the stunt coordinator, Shauna Duggins, she was smart enough to know that, hey, 
I'm a stunt coordinator, but this is wrestling. I need to get a wrestling coordinator in here. And she had worked on Supergirl with Eve Torres. And Eve, so she called Eve, and she knew that Eve was, was an ex-WWE or WWE wrestler. She called Eve and goes, hey, do you, do, you, do you know anybody I can talk to about this? And she said, call Chavo. She called me out of the blue. I had to go in. I had to interview. And, you know, they, I guess they were interviewing 10 or 12 people. And so I got the job. But I didn't, I didn't know until after the, season, after the fourth season ended was done and COVID kind of put a shutdown to that. The, the creators, Liz Flayhive and Carly Mensch, they talked to me and they said, hey, Chavo, I don't know if you knew, but we were, it's, it's a woman show. Women wrestlers, many women directors, women creators, we were dead set on having a woman wrestling coordinator. It goes, and then you walked in the room and you were the guy. We didn't want a guy coordinator. You changed our minds. And I was like, really? I was like, I, I, I didn't even know that. She so said, we wanted a woman. We wanted a woman coordinator. Did and they know the history with Mondo? They didn't at first. And then when I, I had an when I interviewed, I interviewed in, in, in front of a round table for all the producers, the creators, writers, there was must have been 15 people in the room. Um, and so I came in and interviewed and was talking to him. And I think I brought it up. Well, there was a guy named um, well, Christopher, I, I don't remember his name, but Christopher, some, he had written a Broadway play called The um, Wonderful World, The Incredible World of Chad Deity, something like that. I'm messing it up, but it's something like that. And he said, at the time when he wrote, it was a Broadway play or off-Broadway play. He said, Chava, I, I wrote this with you in mind. I said, how, how did you do that? He said, well, it's about a guy who got so good at putting people over, making people, other people look good, that no, that was his spot. There was nobody there to make him look good because he was so good at making everybody else look good. I said, really? I go, oh, I think that's a compliment. Okay, thank you. <laughs> but I, so when I did that, that round table, he was a a um um not a writer of the show but like a um um like a historian for the show type thing you know and they said hey someone wants to say hi so he came in and hey man how you doing i said oh hey man we started talking and he told everybody how he wrote the the play kind of kind of about me that didn't hurt <laughs> that didn't hurt back in the job so that that I walked out of there and I thought, well, my wife and I had gone up to, you know, to LA and we said, Hey, you know, I'll interview, whatever. We'll go have a, go to a steakhouse afterwards. And, you know, I get the job with the guy. If not, no big deal. So we went and had a steak afterwards and we're drinking a martini. And I got a call from, from the stunt coordinator and Shauna goes, Hey, I just let you know. I mean, there's no decisions made left, but they loved you. And I was like, really? She said, they loved you. And I looked at my wife and I said, I got this job. I got this job. And sure enough, two days later, I got called and I got the job. That's how that's how my career, my my Hollywood career, kicked off. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's also amazing. I just I figured the connection with Mondo was was a big help. It's, it's, it definitely it, was. It, you know, all the all the stars kind of aligned because I had done right before about six months before my first job I ever did was a show on uh, um, NBC called Grimm. And uh, it was, it was, you know, like a fairy tale type show where they had a wrestling episode. So uh, Matt Taylor, the stud coordinator and um, Mike Smith, who was a fight coordinator, they go, man, we don't know wrestling. Let's call somebody. They got my name. Somebody gave me my name. Uh, they brought me in to 
to play a character, but also to coordinate the wrestling part. So they were friends with the stunt coordinator from Glow. So when I got the call from Shauna, the stunt coordinator Glow, I said, hey, just call Matt Taylor and, and the shoes. Oh, I know them very well. Call them, make sure I'm just not a douchebag. So they call them. You know, of course, Matt Taylor lied and told him I wasn't a douchebag. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, I, that helped me get the job and it just kind of snowballed from there. And after going, like learning on the job with Glow, Lucha Underground really helped out. And then um, now with Young Rock, uh, and, you know, doing the show, that's, I, I'm kind of, the stepping stones have kind of been enough. Eventually, I'm going to sit in that director's seat, man. That's my, uh, that's my goal. <laughs> All right. Director's seat. I follow every director I can because that's, I learned, first of all, I learned watch from watching Vince McMahon and from watching Kevin Dunn. That's from watching, not them teaching me, but they're teaching without without teaching me. I would just sit yeah. there and watch what they did and watch the camera guys like Marty and all the all the, all of our great camera guys, Howie, all the great guys, <clears throat> and just kind of learn all that. So when I got to Lucha Underground, they 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 were Mark Burnett's guys, but they didn't know wrestling at all. So God, I was telling the camera guys how we shoot wrestling. I was telling the sound guys how we. I was telling the director how we how we switch from. And they're like, how do you? I was telling the wardrobe people how we do this. I mean, I, the set designs. And they're like, how do you know all this? And I said, I don't. I don't know. I think I just know it from watching the best, and that's really what happened. And that and that's how I'm learning Hollywood, really. I'll sit, I'll just sit and follow every director I can and sit right behind. And now when we do the scenes, the Young Rock, which is great, you've got the creator, Jeff Chang, and we have one of the executive producers who is uh, uh, Jeffrey Walker. Behind the camera and the all wrestling scenes, it's me, Jeff Walker, Jeff Chang. And we sit behind that and we, as a team, work and we get those shots. That's pretty cool. I've always thought the biggest advantage WWE has is Vincent and Kevin and the TV production. Absolutely. Marty and Stu and these guys, you know, WCW back in the day, famously, you know, they bring guys in who did NBA who don't know wrestling. You know, all these guys, you know, of course, Vince and Kevin, both second generation, Vince, third generation, second generation, what they do. But the production that WWE does, I mean, those guys, they do more live TV than almost anybody. And it shows, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. It's above me. And, And since I left in 2011, it's got even better. The production is even better. I mean, how could they, it got better, better packages together. WrestleMania is now, I mean, all WrestleManias were amazing. Now they're, it's, it's, it rivals Super Bowls. It's there. It's so great. Yeah. And when you want to start up a promotion, it's hard to compete with that learn that learned aspect they have of this is how we do production. Cause it's production is so, so important. You gotta, you gotta have the right guys in front of the camera. But you got to have the right guys behind the camera. We're in the ring doing our stuff, and they're not catching it correctly, then it doesn't matter, you know. And and I learned I, I learned how to tell the director, whether it be Kerwin, whoever, and say, "I need you to shoot me here," without telling them, just stop and, and and live TV. I wait till that red light came on, and I would sit there. I don't care. It was five minutes, five seconds, just <laughs> looking at it. Finally, it would come on. I go, "Thank you," <laughs> you know. You know, we're, we've been blessed, all, all of us, to, to work with some really talented people and think we know the rising business. But those 10 years I sit there with those headphones on a grill position, listen to Kevin, Kevin Dunn. And I'm, you know, I have no reason, I don't work for the company, so I got no reason to blow smoke over here. Same here. But I, I learned, you know, aside from Vince, who is just, you know, an educator and deluxe, but sitting there listening to 
the cabin, I learned more about our business. So I think that I did from Eddie Graham, Bill Watts, or any of the great promoters out there. And and this is coming from a guy. Everybody, well, he's not a hell. He is in our business. He he's the one Absolutely. that creates our business. If you can't learn from guys like that who are who are, who are more than willing to share their knowledge with you, man, you you got a blind side. Well, you're watching how to do it correctly and do it right. I mean, they're they're proven. They've been proving it for 30 years and doing it correctly and and, and making big business. It, it just you just sit and watch. You're you're you go to school every time you'd watch these guys. You'd just be being at TV. I'd sit in the truck every time, every chance I got, and just would just watch how things were done. And look at look, look at the assist that it's given you, you know, out in Hollywood now. You know, Absolutely. you're with the, the top people in Hollywood and, and you, you can still share knowledge with them and they learn from you. Correct. You're you're you know what? I just it's it's a give and take. If they don't know wrestling, well, they're I'm teaching them wrestling. They're teaching me Hollywood. It's kind of a give and take. You know, it's really cool. So, the Young Rock is just a a, a virtual a visual podcast, isn't it? It's awesome. What I I mean, I think it's I think it's I think it's tremendous. I love it. But it's it's basically a podcast that you have actors portraying the stories instead of exactly they're doing all these stories that we don't know of course we tone them down for tv but yeah absolutely right. what i love about young rock is that it's 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 a fun 30 minutes it's, they're not dealing with drama and you know like you know po political views except for you know rock running for president right. political views or or you know misogynist there's just, it's just a fun show you watch it and 30 minutes 30 minutes later you're like hey that was that was a great show it's fun and that's what that's what i love about it it's it's I love working on it. We're getting ready to go into season three here coming up. Wow. Awesome. Yep. You know, this business is so crazy, especially when you go back, you know, say 60s, 70s, and 80s, you know, those guys. And, and that's what a lot of the Young Rock covers, you know, is, is that. Right. And I think that's why podcasts have gotten so popular, why Bruce Pritchard, you know, was the first doing the, the, big, the right. big podcast. But that's, the to me, the success of what you are doing with Rock. It's just people love these old stories. They're crazy. I mean, people have a hard time believing this is actually true. You are correct. And you, you said that without letting the cat out of the bag. There's something else coming up that's big, very big, that I was very a big part of in, in creating. And we'll, we'll be hearing about that very, very shortly. So now I'm stepping into the, the creating world now. So now that's, I, I, I can't. It hasn't been announced yet, so I got to I got to keep it under the bag. But we're we did something pretty cool, and I think you guys I think you guys are gonna love it. So next, you're gonna come out with your own tequila, and you're gonna run for president. So <laughs> against the rock, please send me a bottle of that tequila. You got it, man. Well, I got my, I already got my, my own beer out there that uh, Los Grills Mexican Lager. So how's it doing? It's going great. Shows out every time. Every time we that's all awesome. up. We can't brew enough, so we're trying to run the right now, getting to the point to where we're licensing out to brew it in bigger places because it just it just goes like crazy. Do you work much with Brian Geworks? I work with him extensively. I work with him extensively for Young Rock. He's an executive <coughs> producer and wrote one of the last the, one of the shows the last season. So he's 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 in there. He's the he's, he's rock such a head. creative guy and he's a good guy. Yeah. You know, I love him. I love. We, I we love had Met season tickets uh, two years. I think they cost like thirty million dollars, and they were like <laughs> four miles from the field. Uh, they they right. weren't. Anyway, yeah. we did have tickets. <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. We work. I mean, I've spent last season 
So season one, we were together for three months in Brisbane, and last season we we're together for five months in at in the Gold Coast. So we're we're, we're I have a second residence basically in in Australia. <laughs> and the Rock, I mean, this is insane to me. You know, when he came in, we, I was there you know the whole time before he came in. Then he came this super mega star, you know, and. Uh, oh guys who transcend the genre you know talk about the old coliseum gorgeous george transcended the genre you know absolutely hogan did uh, rock you know probably the greatest of all time as far as transcending he's certainly the the biggest box office draw that, that's correct ever just an amazing story you know he just nobody dislikes him and for good reason i don't either i think he's i think it's, everybody's happy for success most of the time when you have a guy that's successful yep. you have a lot of haters that Oh, I right. can't stand the guy. He's a jerk. I wish he'd fail. Everybody's like, oh man, he's the greatest guy ever. It, it's an amazing, amazing. He works his butt off. I mean, he guy sleeps three, four hours a night. He's like Vince, but he works his but he works and works and works and works so hard. And he's just a very positive guy. His message is always positivity. His message is always, yes, you can. Yes, you can do it. He's he's a he's yeah, he's gonna be the next Tim Robbins. <laughs> That's right. You know, I, I, I follow him on Instagram like like the rest of the world does. Right, you're right, and you're yeah. right. He actually, I see him be like training. He's got this, you know, like Kevin Nash said one time when he was in the ring. He goes, "He's the only guy who looks better than his video game character." Yeah, you're not kidding. You're not. <laughs> and kidding. you look at it, you're actually inspired. Going, you know, I should I should go to the gym. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then I don't go, but that's okay. I, I'm inspired <laughs> for a short time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he, he, go, he goes and turns into Colonel and White for the run. That's right. Well, that's golf course, brothers. Yeah, if you got any of those old clothes, I still wear them. The Colonel and White stuff. They might be a little tight for you, a little, a little small. I still wear little boy sizes. <laughs> you, were, you were in shape back then, right? <laughs> well, Chavo, we, I've been looking forward to having you on forever. I mean, we've enjoyed being around you my entire life. I love you just like I did Eddie and it's such a great pleasure to have you on. I'm so happy for your success. You're becoming Mr. Hollywood, which is incredibly well-deserved. It's not lucky. It's because you deserve to be there. And you're on vacation right now, somewhere over in uh, Europe and Paris and Florida. Paris right now. Yep, yep. This is and, not uh, real. <laughs> yes. So, Chavo, thank you so much thank for uh, coming on the show. Really do appreciate it. And, my, and, and I got to say on air, my wife always says, Chavo is my favorite. You know, she's I my love her. She's one of my favorites. I love, I love, I love her. I brag about her a lot. I brag about her anytime I talk to anybody who's in that business. I go, well, do you know a Meredith Whitney? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's definitely. But anyways, guys, you're two guys that I've definitely respected and call friends, but call mentors for sure. I really appreciate being in here and being able to talk to you guys. It's definitely a highlight for me, guys. Thank you, guys. Love you. Thank, thank you, Chavo.